no sensations, no comprehension. My father died in 1980, at the age of 82, days after being operated on for a newly discovered malignant intestinal obstruction. There having been only six days between his diagnosis and his death, I struggled to find some meaning in my rapid transformation from a man with a father who was slow-moving and alert, to a man with a gaunt and disoriented father, to a man with a wasted and comatose father, to a man with no father at all. Soon after his body was taken away, as I was standing in his suddenly very empty hospital room, I asked his doctor why an operation had been attempted on someone as old and weak as my father had been. This doctor, who had tended to our family for many years, rested his hand lightly on my arm, looked me directly in the eye, and with an earnest tone and straight face said, We had to operate on him. Don't you understand? Your father wouldn't have lived a week if we hadn't. I didn't know it yet, but this conversation was a harbinger of the surreal time of life I was entering, a time of transition from always having had two parents to, ultimately, forever having none. On the day we buried my father's remains, I was uncertain whether my mother understood that he had died. Earlier that year she had abruptly become forgetful and confused, and by the time my father died she was quite demented. Sitting down with me in her living room after we returned from the cemetery, she smiled sweetly and began looking around, her head slowly bobbing as though keeping time to a song only she could hear. In a tiny voice she asked no one in particular, haven't they done a lovely job of decorating? It was like visiting a strange place with a stranger. Perhaps in an attempt to summon her back, I teased, Oh, come on, Mom. Do you mean to tell me that on top of everything else you were starting to have problems with your memory? Her head became still, and she turned toward me. For the first time in months, and the last time ever, her eyes were focused and clear. In the thick Russian accent I knew so well, she said, Yes, and I'm so sorry, but I'd like to stay that way. She smiled fondly as her eyes began to fill with tears. Her head resumed its bobbing and then slowly began turning from side to side. Gradually her eyes defocused, became dry, and, once again, she was a stranger. Always a woman of her word, she did stay that way, although probably not so much because of any decision she had made until she began to get worse. Over the next four years, she grew increasingly frail and senile. By the end of her life, in 1984, she was one of those crazy old ladies about whom she had always said with a shudder, I hope I never become like that. On the day I buried her, the by now familiar cemetery hillside of flowers, stone, and grass was once again blemished by a deep rectangular hole. It was as though this very spot, just like my life, was ruptured again, the once familiar and continuous, now open and raw.
Beside the hole was a pile of dirt covered with a green cloth. Some folding wooden chairs had been set up nearby by someone who knew that mourners need a place to sit. In them were my parents' friends, old people, whose heads all turned toward me as I approached. I was, after all, the male child, expected to say the memorial prayers when a parent dies in traditional Jewish society. My family, however, had never observed the religion of our ancestors, so I knew no prayers, and there were no parents there to take charge, so I just stood there, awkwardly staring back, my eyes burning from hell-back tears as my parents' friends sat staring at me. I closed my eyes. I felt six years old. I remembered being six.